You're listening to That'll Preach. We are continuing our series, Talk to Me Like I'm Five. We're trying to break down some theological concepts into an understandable, digestible, accessible form. And we're loosely following the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And uh, if you've never read the Shorter Catechism, it's a really great tool. Um, It's not just for sort of new Christians. In fact, if you read through it, you realize any Christian can benefit from this catechism. There's a lot of really concise, detailed, um, theologically rich uh, statements in the catechism, which is really important. And so it's a really great tool. And maybe this is our attempt at you know, bringing catechism to a larger audience. And um, I think it's a really fruitful thing. I I actually never, I didn't grow up a Christian, so I didn't grow up, you know, being catechized or or whatever. But uh, the first time I'd actually really started to look at the catechism was in seminary. One of our uh, final projects, or rather final assignments, was uh, we had to actually memorize large portions of the catechism and then be tested on it. And I remember reading it, I'm like, oh, come on. Like, I know this stuff. This is basic stuff. But then when I actually sat down to memorize it, I was like, dang, I'm learning a lot from this. There's a lot of stuff that I just assumed I knew. For one thing, I didn't know what the Ten Commandments were. I mean, I could maybe stumble through them, but some of them I didn't really understand the implications of it or what it precisely for, uh, for forbade, forbid, whatever. And uh it wasn't until I started to memorize some of the catechism questions about the Ten Commandments that I gained a new appreciation for the law of God. And so that's just a small example. So this is our uh, way of sort of introducing you guys to a really helpful tool. And really, we just want to make things, again, accessible, understandable, in a kind of a short format that you can feel confident yourself that, yeah, you know your faith. You don't have to be a scholar a genius or whatever. You can be a normal, ordinary person, and uh, hopefully this can be a tool to help you feel a little more confident about the things that you believe and to learn something. So the, uh, the, the title of this episode is, What is the Bible? What is the Bible? And uh, it's a really important question. Sometimes people think about the Bible as, you know, that's just the book that Christians follow. And, and that's true, but it's, it's sort of seen as like, you know, it's, it's one of many books that contain wisdom through the ages, that as society evolved through the different time periods in human history, uh, they were encoding important ideas that were vital to living a good life, to having a cohesive society. And the Bible is one of those books that encodes those timeless values that we need. If you've ever seen the book of Eli, um, this is probably going to spoil it, but look, it's, a, it's an old movie by this point, so it's your fault. But at the very end, you know, he's carrying all these books. He's carrying a Bible. Uh, Well, he's really carrying, he's just carrying the Bible through uh, all kinds of dangers in this future dystopian world. And at the very end of the movie, he successfully brings the Bible to this sort of like safe house of all of these books. And he places it next to the Quran and, you know, the, you know, different Buddhist books and and all that stuff. And the, the idea was like, okay, this is a really important book. The Bible's a special book, but it's no more special than any other religious text. And it's just sort of one particular religion's way of teaching good moral values to their kids or as an ethic for their community. But the Christian vision of what the Bible is and really what the Bible testifies that it is itself is that it is the word of God. It is the word of God. 
And in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, questions two and three go like this. This is question two. Uh, What rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? So in the last episode, we discussed the purpose of life. It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Then it's like, well, how do I do that? Right? What does it mean to glorify God and enjoy him? I need some more specific direction. And so the rule or the direction that God gives us to understand how do we glorify and enjoy him, which is the purpose of our life, how do we actually tangibly walk in the purpose that God has given us? Well, that's the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, and it is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. So this phrase, the word of God, is really important. Uh, Let's think about even what words are. Right. Words are how people communicate to each other. So if you're standing next to your friend, you don't really know what's going on in his mind or what he's thinking, what he expects you to do or you to say, unless he expresses what's internal externally through words, through communication. And even the word communicate, the etymology stems from the idea of of a shared life, of making your life common. That's what communicating is, making your life common. How do I let my internal world be accessed by you and shared by you? I have to communicate it, make it common through the instrument of words. Uh, I remember there was this couple, uh, they were on Desiring God, which is John Piper's ministry. Uh, Their names are Ian and Larissa. And they had this famous sort of amazing story where they were engaged and then Ian got in a really bad car wreck, which left him severely physically impaired and and uh, he lost a lot of his motor skills. And they still decided they wanted to get married. But there was one kind of condition that Larissa had for Ian. They had to be able to communicate. He had to be able to speak to her in some way, even if it was slurred or it was difficult to understand. She had to have access to his inner life for their relationship to work, for a marriage to work. And thankfully, he was able to communicate and and they got married. And as far as I know, they're still married and and enjoying life together. But that's a really important concept. Words facilitate relationship because they communicate the life of one person to another. So that's why words are important. Now, the word of God is a key phrase because the phrase of God kind of changes the way that we think about this communication. And the Bible is the special way that God has revealed himself to us. Now, he has also revealed himself in the incarnation. We'll talk about that in another question. But just as a summary statement, God wants to share his life with us. He does it through words. But the words that he uses are not like the words that we would use with one another in audible form. But it's rather he works through the written human language in a special way through authors over time in diverse places to communicate with us, to facilitate a relationship with us. Now, one of the things to remember too is God is not just communicating to us so that he can have a friend or that we can not feel lonely. But part of the whole puzzle of human existence is that we need God to live. We, we need God to have our being. We, we need God for everything, that we were created to worship God. So for God to open up relationship to us is an act of grace. It's a a way in which he reaches out to us to give us what we need, which is him. So it is an act of his kindness to us that he communicates. But also the thing that he's communicating 
is himself. He's communicating who he is so that we can know him. And by knowing him, we know salvation. We know what it means to be a human. We, we are operating the way that we were designed to. We were made to be in a relationship with him. He communicates to us as the first act of facilitating that very relationship that we were created for. Now, I mentioned earlier that the Word of God is uh, contained in the Bible or uh, the Holy Scriptures. And there's a little bit of debate over whether Scripture means something than the Bible. But for, for the sake of this, I'm just going to use them interchangeably. But the idea is that God has revealed himself, as the book of Hebrews says, in many times in many ways. So one of the things that you see is the Old Testament and New Testament are very diverse. They're diverse in genre. There's poems. There's historical narratives. Uh, there are prophetic pronouncements. Uh, there are songs. There's all kinds of different ways that God expresses himself. There's you know epistles, which are letters to churches. There are prophetic visions, like the book of Revelation. And they're all written by different people throughout human history, throughout the history of God's people. And what we mean when we say the Word of God is contained in the Old and New Testaments is that there are multiple human authors of the Bible, but there's one divine author. That's God himself. And this one divine author is authoring the Bible, but that is not intruding upon the fact that humans are also authoring the Bible. And if you want to, the, the, the word to kind of encapsulate this idea is inspiration. So when we say the Bible is inspired, we're not saying that, you know, people were really moved by the thought of God and they just started writing down their thoughts about it. Or the same way, you know, a songwriter is inspired by a relationship or inspired by an event or something like that. When we speak about inspiration, we mean that the word of God is breathed out by God that the Bible has a divine origin, that it, that it comes from the mouth of God. Not physically, but the origin is not sourced ultimately in human authors, that the human authors are sort of instruments in God's hands. They're still doing things, they're still thinking, they're still writing things down and reasoning through things, but it's a process that God is using in his sovereignty to bring about the words that he wants us to have. So God is the primary author, and there are secondary authors that he is working through to produce the word of God. Now, a couple things follow from this. If God is trying to communicate his life with us through the medium of these words, these written human words through human authors, but divinely inspired by God, both acting at the same time, not impeding upon each other, but working together, compatible with each other, then if they have a divine origin, they have a divine authority. That's really important. So again, these are not just the kind of religious, nice, ethical thoughts of people collected through time. God has actually spoken. He's spoken through these words. These are his words. And therefore, they carry the authority that God carries. Now, the fact that it is the only rule that directs us on how to glorify him and enjoy him forever means that God sets the terms. So again, we're not sitting here figuring out like, okay, so if we want to create a religion, how do we want to worship God? Let's all talk about it. Or what do we think God's like? Let's just make a book that kind of collects our ideas of what the divine are. No, when we say that this is the word of God and it's inspired by God, it comes from his mouth, it's breathed out by God, we're saying that God sets the agenda. 
He's coming to us saying, this is what I'm like, and this is what I require of you. And this is how you must live if you want to glorify and enjoy me forever. And you are required to submit to that. Because again, these are the words of God, not the words of just people thinking religious thoughts. You are to submit to these words and to trust me and respond with obedience. Now, the Bible shapes the way that we view the world. And I forget who said this, but it was this idea that whenever you really read an author, like let's say you read all of C.S. Lewis's books, or you read all of, you know, I don't know, George Orwell's books. Um, what happens is if you start to read enough of their books, you start to think like them, right? Constant exposure to their words actually shapes your mind. So you start to think their thoughts after them. You can start to say like, you know, I think, you know, I think Tolkien would have had this response to this event, or I think Lewis, C.S. Lewis probably would have felt this way about this thing because you're so immersed in their words that you share in their mind, and, and by sharing in their mind, you, you kind of start to see the world the way that they see the world. Well, on a much larger scale, God shapes our minds through the Word. This is Romans 12, renewing your mind according to the Word of God, right? It's a daily thing, and, and what it is is God is putting uh, His lenses on us. He's saying, this is reality, and if you immerse yourself in my Word, it's going to shape your mind. You're going to think my thoughts after me. That's really what theology is. We're thinking God's thoughts after him. We're having the word of God influence our mind, shape our mind, so that when we look out into the world, we see it through the eyes of God. We see things for what they are. Every day of your life, you're bombarded by ads and, and social media and you know commercials and, and, and the opinions of your friends and the opinions of your parents, for better or for worse. All these words are coming at you. All these ideas and narratives are coming at you. And they're shaping the way that you view the world. You start to get anxious. You start to get fearful. What if they're right? What if this is true? What does that mean for my life? And then you come to Sunday and you hear like a 30-minute sermon in an hour-long service. I don't think that's enough. I don't think it's enough to overcome the powerful influence of the world, to all the ways that we're being sold things and being given narratives to shape our minds to view the world in a certain way. And that's why Bible reading is so important. Why sitting and thinking about the Bible and using the word and encouraging one another with the Bible is so crucial because we're never really neutral, right? You never drift toward holiness. I remember a pastor saying that. You got to fight for holiness. If you drift toward sin, if you just sit and do nothing, you're going to drift away. So it is a fight in the Christian life to renew our minds, to know what is right and true and good and beautiful, and to know how we are to behave and, and how God uh, calls us to obedience. And one of the great things about saturating your mind in the Word of God is that it has an effect on you to which the things of God become more and more precious. You know, don't wait till you feel really on fire for God to start reading the Bible. It doesn't really work that way, right? Because the passion for God and the love for God comes through reading the Word, through spending time in the Word. And so I find this to be a really helpful discipleship tool. You know, if you're early on in your faith, just start reading the Bible. Don't worry about getting everything. There's a lot of confusing stuff, but just read the Bible a little bit at a time or maybe big chunks at a time if you're feeling ambitious and just read it. Just be familiar with it. Go step by step. And over time, what you're going to see is that you're going to start thinking differently. 
You're going to start looking at the world differently. You're going to start treating people differently. Because again, this is not just another religious text written by religious people. This is the word of God. This is God's communication to you. This is God sharing his life with you because this is how he communicates who he is and what he requires to us. And that is a good thing.